I remember when a long time ago, the very first drag show that we had here, mm-hmm. it was a controversial one. I'll, I'll say that. Sure. Um, it was the first time we ever had a big event here um, like that. And we filled almost the entire um, Gore Music The Hall? Gore Auditorium? Gore, yes. Yeah. You filled the Gore Auditorium. We had it almost completely full. Wow. And it was open to everyone, the public. It, wow. it was It was amazing because we even had... Uh, so one of the judges that came mm-hmm. or that we asked to come be a part of it, his name was Jade. He was a student here. And when he was a student here, it was prior to the 96, yeah. <laughs> 97 stuff. There was nothing, um, and I, I, I remember him. He, he had tears in his eyes because he was so excited about the fact that we were having even this type of an event on yeah. campus, <laughs> let alone, you know, we had the club, we had all these other students, and all these other students across campus were accepting and were enjoying it, and it was, I don't know, it was awesome to see that. It really was like yeah. to see an alum who didn't get to have these experiences come back and go, wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Forum Podcast. I'm Anthony Giorgio, the video and podcast director for the Forum. And I'm Kat Taylor, the editor in chief of the Forum. The voice you just heard was Rodney Glore, who has been a student, a member of staff, and adjunct faculty at various points over the last 13 years. Rodney was a member of Alphabet Soup an LGBTQ Pride Club on campus when he was a student and has organized Westminster's involvement in the SLC Pride Parade for many years. We spoke to Rodney because we wanted to get a sense of how things changed at Westminster in the last decade or so. So this podcast actually originated when Johnny Jemming, the 1996-97 president of the Associated Students of Westminster College, ASWC, before it was ASW, reached out to us over Instagram. He told us he had a story about the founding of the very first Westminster Pride Club 25 years ago. Hearing his story got us to do some digging into the history of LGBTQ plus organizations, ASW's involvement in them, and the way they have shifted the institutional culture at Westminster College and the larger community acceptance of LGBTQ plus people. We first sat down with Ashley Swedko, the ASW events president, to get a look behind the curtain at organizing Pride Week this year. ASW collaborated with Queer Compass to put on a series of events. Among them were a queer study night and drag show, as well as a queer history exhibit located in the Shaw Student Center dining hall, and a taboo talk which explored the intersections of living as a BIPOC member of the LGBTQ community. Pride Week is kind of a tradition that ASW puts on every year, and most of the time it is in collaboration with Queer Compass. These were kind of some larger events. They take a little bit more planning just since there was some more, lots of aspects to these. So for the Taboo Talk specifically, we just reached out to a few different people to see if they would like to talk, um, people that would be interested in kind of having a conversation around Pride Week. So we reached out to some alumni and that was great. And then for the drag show, we kind of did the same thing. We just reached out to people that we knew Um, that would be interested in performing for the drag show, and we also had to order the stage, get a bunch of drag decorations, so 
it was a big thing to put on, but. What do you feel the significance is of like the student governing body to actually take a part in, no, we're going to also help out with Pride Week for the student body. Yeah, yeah. One of my big things this year as events president was just kind of make sh- making sure that everyone felt welcome. Specifically, I know there's been, um, I don't know, some people just don't feel welcome going to events. And I think I really wanted to make that a safe space for everyone this year and kind of make sure everyone felt like they were incorporated and that they had a place to be heard. So I think we have a really great opportunity to be able to do that, especially with events like Taboo Talks, where we can kind of have this conversation and bring topics up that people don't normally like to talk about. So I think that's really important that we're able to do that and that we give people the opportunity to do that. What do you feel like it says about Westminster as an institution that we have Taboo Talks and drag shows and all of these different, you know, the the queer history exhibit that we do those types of things. Yeah, I think that just shows that Westminster is really striving for that inclusivity and making sure people are heard. I think maybe in some aspects we do have places that we can improve and that we can do better on, but I think that we're trying and we do have people that are wanting to do these things is really important. Faith Staley is the current coordinator for Queer Compass and has fulfilled that role since 2019. You may have noticed during Pride Week this year that there was a series of posters toward the back of the Shaw Student Center Dining Hall. Those posters detailed stories of local LGBTQ activism and were originally created for the June 2021 Pride celebration. Queer Compass is an institutionally supported student-run program through the Student Diversity and Inclusion Center, which means that we function a lot like a club, except that the school has determined that the group is important enough to the campus culture that they want to make sure it is continued year after year whereas a club is just reliant on students to keep it running. What would you say is the value of having just programs like Queer Compass on a college campus? Um, I mean, I think college is a time where a lot of people are exploring their various identities. I mean, my identities have shifted since I've come to college, right? And I think having the support of a community of other LGBTQ plus people, as well as just knowing that there's a place to come for information, for resources, if you're, you know, especially fresh out of high school, being in Utah, a lot of places are, you know, more conservative and not as welcoming to queer and LGBTQ people. So um, having this on a college campus, I think, makes it a more welcoming place for queer students, but actually for everyone. What are some of the most fascinating things that stood out to you in the course of your research? One of the things that was the most powerful to me was the history of queer activism in Utah, which has been well documented since like the 50s and 60s, right? And I mean, before that, of course, we know indigenous people like had a different concept of gender. The gender binary is a colonial uh, construct, right? But I think to know that in Salt Lake, I think people traditionally have um, sort of a mental image of this city as being like extremely Mormon, very conservative, right? But to know that within that culture, there has always been people pushing back. There have always been that strong counterculture of queer people existing and creating spaces for themselves to be who they are was really cool and to like find out the history of like the first pride event was held up city creek canyon you know and then they moved it to the beaches of the great salt lake which was a place that you could swim in those days (laughs) also you know learning about like the sun trap right which was originally just called the trap and then there was a different gay bar that got destroyed in the tornado that came through salt lake that was named something like 
the Sunspot or something. And so they, that one got destroyed. And so they renamed the trap, the Sun Trap in its legacy. Rodney Glore has a history with Westminster that goes back to 2008. He was a non-traditional student who enrolled at Westminster as an undergrad just before his 30th birthday. He has a bachelor's degree in communication, a master's degree in education, and worked at Westminster in some capacity either as staff or adjunct faculty from 2008 through this year, 2021. He began working with Alphabet Soup, Queer Compass's predecessor, around 2010-2011. It was... It was fun. It was interesting. It was something that I was not used to um, coming from the public sector where talking about your sexuality or even even making comments that could be perceived as identifying one direction or another, you could be written up and have sexual assault charges put against you and lose your job. And that was very difficult for me. Understandably, at that point in time, Rodney felt he was in need of a change. My education was important as well as doing something different with my life. And so I came to Westminster, which then opened some doors to the point where even my boss was like, Rod, don't feel like you need to hold back or anything or act any different because, you know, here we accept you for who you are. (laughs) So don't pretend like you need to hide yourself here. So that's why I came here as a non-traditional student as well as staff. So I was doing both at the same time. Just as we were talking before this, you said that there was a, a kind of gap in the visibility or spaces for LGBTQ people on campus that began to be filled in around 2008, would you say? 2007, uh, I want to say it was 2007, 2008, yes. Mm was about the time when things started coming back. Um, They had a really good small group of students that were involved, which then created um, Alphabet Soup. Mm -hmm. Like Carl Gerdner was one of the early uh, people that were involved, Brady. Um, Arnoldson was highly involved um, in the beginning. Um, It's really interesting. They were all kind of across campus. Mm Individuals, they weren't like a distinctive group of students yeah. that were um, really involved. There's been a lot of students who really brought Alphabet Soup back together. Yeah. Or what it was at the time. And they tried hard to um, have a presence mm-hmm. on campus. The events group, like the events... Okay, so it was an events person, then it was an events team <laughs> that were, they were involved, um, but there was always a little bit of pushback because they were like, well, this is ASWs, <laughs> we're, we're keeping it to ourselves, but you can help or be involved. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get a lot of choice. And that's on the actual pride celebration. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like pride event stuff here on campus. Yeah. So anything related to that, um, it it went through them. So that was like 2011, 2012, because it was always in October. It was always the week before Halloween. It was always (laughs) Mm -hmm. like, that's how they always seem to schedule it. Right. Um, And they would do little things, little events. And uh, alumni used to be really involved. Hmm. So Barbara Linakis, an alumni, she was very supportive of 
Pride. And they would always try to do something as part of Pride Week to help out and support um, Pride Week. They were awesome. So this gap happened yeah. back in before I started. And once this group Alphabet Soup came forward, um, they they tried to they tried to make more events and get more awareness mm-hmm. around campus is the best way to describe that. And they were the first group to start working with being in the pride, like the Utah pride. Sure. Yeah. Like the big one that happens in June. Right. And that one was always kind of the big thing because it overlapped during May term. We could get a pretty decent turnout. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the first pride that I went to with them, which was the second pride that they participated in for the state. And that was the parade and the, I want to say fair. Yeah, it is kind of the festival. (laughs) Festival area. Yeah. Um, They, like that first group that I was in, there were like 12 of us that marched in the parade. It was, for us, something good because the University of Utah wasn't in it. Mm. No other higher education school was involved yet. Really? And so we were the only one that was there. Yeah. And even as time went on, it probably wasn't until, I want to say, 2014 or 15 before any of the other institutions started actually participating in the statewide Pride Mm -hmm. um, events in the uh that would you know that would show them participating if that makes sense yeah which makes it really really cool because we have been the longest higher ed institution to be in the pride events than any other one how does that feel being a part of the westminster community when that's been the the orientation of westminster's culture for this long I think it's amazing, actually, Um, simply because I know what it was like when I was younger to not know who I was, um, to have family, friends, and others push me in a direction that was not who I was. Um, And so continuing and showing that there's a loving environment here and that people are accepted for who they are, not, not for how much money they have, not for, you know, who they know, but it, it, but really being a part of the community as a person. Yeah. Um, it makes me, I don't, I don't know. It makes me excited for the future. Now, all of these different facets of this subject, student groups, drag shows, ASW collaboration, institutional change, the roots of all of these things can be found in the story that Johnny Jemming told us in the Forum Podcast Studio. We conducted this interview with Johnny in early October 2021, where he shared the story of his experiences as president of ASWC and his role in the founding of the first Westminster Pride Club in 1996. Kat and I will break into his story periodically to provide some context about that point in history. But uh, otherwise, enjoy. Take a listen. I'm Jonathan George Jemming. I go by Johnny. 
him, his, he. I have a degree in history from the honors program at Westminster College from class of 1997. Part of what brings us here today is you were elected the president of ASWC in 1996, that's correct? That's correct. And we're here to talk about the first Westminster Pride. So, Westminster Pride, Jason Weaver, he was the instigator behind Westminster Pride. He was their torchbearer and just a very vibrant, very activist and very kind young man. I guess we were all young then. I'm looking back in time. He had approached me right after I was elected and said, what are you going to do uh, about um, our application for Pride Club on campus? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, well, it's been tabled in the past. I was like, tabled? I was like, we'll take care of that. I said, we'll put it as our first item of business. How about that? Of course, he was happy with that. And we then prepared our agenda. So we gave the agenda for that meeting to the school administration, just as we always do, and started, you know, there's politics that happen immediately. We had known that in 1995, beginning in 95, that the Salt Lake City School District had set up roadblocks to the students at East High School who had tried to do the same thing. And those students um, ended up, I believe, going all the way through the court system in order to protect that right. So in 1995, students at East High petitioned to form a gay and lesbian club, which the superintendent set up the pipeline to the Utah Attorney General's office, who stated that such a club would be protected under the 1984 Equal Access Act. In return, the State Board of Education voted to ban all student clubs, which resulted in student protests and a lawsuit from the ACLU. And Stephen Morgan, who I think was a vice president at the time, he, he might have just been over, I don't know if he was an executive vice president or not, but he was, he was basically a liaison for the administration and the board. And since he was kind of the treasurer for the school, he was a direct ear with the board, I think, at the time and certainly was friends with all the board. Now, Steve Morgan had a long career with Westminster College, beginning as an accountant with the college in the 80s, eventually ascending to the office of president in the late 2010s. At this point in 1996-97, however, he was the executive vice president and treasurer of the college. Just to clarify that. He approached me, actually I was outside of Shaw Center. Stephen Morgan had approached me and just as the messenger and said, Johnny, hey, I, I saw the agenda and there, there's been some conversations about it. And he said, there's, there's been a, at least two or three board members that have suggested consideration of removal of the uh, student fees from your organization um, if you're going to go forward with that. And, uh, and I just remember that I just said, oh, yeah, well, go ahead and let them do it. Go ahead and let him do it. Because we knew that, we knew history was gonna be on our side. We knew if there's a group of high school students at East High that were already moving forward, that it was kind of, it was, it was a no-brainer that Westminster, which we saw as should be the front of the pack rather than in the back of the pack. And knowing that we've got friends who we know are gay or lesbian or transgender, and they're afraid. 
1996 and 1995, we're still reading stories about folks like Matthew Shepard and folks that have been killed and, and they don't have a safe place. So this is a very, very safety-based decision-making tree that's occurring. Matthew Shepard was a gay college student who was the victim of an anti-gay hate crime in 1998. His murder, which occurred outside Laramie, Wyoming, captured the nation's attention in a way that violence against the LGBTQ community hadn't up to that point. It would have certainly been in the minds of Westminster students and college students more broadly. And one that, for us as student leaders, one that we knew there might be backlash from. But we were expecting it just to be from our own our own peers. <laughs> we thought some students wouldn't vote for it, for instance. So I kind of do the straw poll to make sure that everyone's on board, especially because it's going to be fairly ceremonial because most things approve because there's so few college clubs anyway that normally it would be really just a ministerial type of decision. But we knew it was something bigger and uh, from the moment Jason approached me because obviously when someone tells you something's been tabled in the past, things get tabled for reasons because they don't want to face it. And we were, we were ready to face it. So um, put it on the first item of business and the Senate uh, in our first meeting passed it unanimously with one abstention. The passage occurred, the, the group was formed and this coincided directly with the building of the Giovanni Library. And the school had for years struggled with Nightingale Library and it being seen as not sufficient. And they broke ground that year. And I, that was my first speech I gave as student body president, was at the groundbreaking for the Giovanni Library. And I had been asked right when I got elected to be responsible for the student submission to the Cornerstone time capsule. Because I think there must be time capsules in every building on campus, really all the major ones, because it's all, they've always had that ceremony. And we were so excited about that because, you know, those are the kind of the fun statesman types of things. Like I get to speak at the groundbreaking and we know we're going to put together a few cool things to show what it was like in the, the 90s, maybe a Nirvana, you know, album, the Nevermind, the Little Naked Baby album cover or whatever. I don't know. So we were working on that. And the one thing that was uh, hard and I think is hard for the campus as a whole is the way that the school deals with history and transparency, right? And so we're working on the submission and of course Jason Weaver and all the founders of Pride wanted to put their founding charter in the time capsule with the rainbow, the signatures, hurrah, yay, one step forward. And suddenly we were given notice after the approval of the organization and finding out that they wanted their charter in because there's always the minions leaking things back up to the powers that be that we were no longer going to have a student submission to the Giovanni Library time capsule. But where are we now? What did Westminster do with it? Westminster ran with it. Westminster ended up being one of the first schools to recognize civil unions and benefits for partners. It's become a leader with its recognition of non-discrimination for, for people that of, of any orientation and fluidity of gender. And so there's a huge level of me saying, hey, I'm proud. I'm part of pride. We've all got so much pride with the way that the school ultimately handled it, but that's the story behind it. I think the only question I have is when it came to the adoption of Westminster Pride, 
Um, did you try to have conversations with faculty and staff? And did Peggy have any specific comments to you about that? Peggy Stock was president of Westminster College from 1995 to 2002. She was the first woman to hold the office and was responsible for both the creation of the residential village and the reconstitution of the Westminster Board of Trustees from a representational model to set appointees. No, and that's what was, that's what was so reflective of why they didn't, the, the, the faculty, faculty loved it. Every, all, the faculty were so supportive. And why, why wouldn't they? It, doesn't, it wouldn't have made any sense, um, just given the, where we are. I mean, were there homophobic faculty? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they weren't vocal. We, we were moving into a time where, especially at Westminster, you better keep your mouth shut if you were like that, you know? And it's so nice to have those people be in the, you know, in the wings rather than have all the people that are really having their rights unviolated being in the wings. But no, so the faculty were incredibly supportive and then the school was silent. But the silence then was manifested in a passive aggressive way, which was suddenly, no, and you know that decision had to have been run from up high to find out of nowhere, say, no, we don't want the students to have a submission to the to the time capsule for Giovanni Library. How embarrassing. So you know, I, whoever's on Pride now, we should make a one and get talk to the staff at Giovanni Library just to find an alternate place to put it, like their archives, archives or something. Mm -hmm. Because it really is a blemish on the school's reputation to have done that, I thought. Just an embarrassing decision. Yeah. But, but we, were, we were on the right side of history on that one. In our interview, Johnny identified Jason Weaver as a key player and the formation of Westminster Pride, and we reached out to interview him, but he declined to interview. However, when it comes to the content of Johnny's story, we wanted to see how a contemporary audience would react to this story about events that happened 25 years ago. So as Faith and Ashley and Rodney each came into the studio, we invited them to take a listen to Johnny's story, and here are their reactions. So, what'd you think of that? Oh, it's interesting because I could think back to, <laughs> I could, I could, I could still see some of the people that were here when I first started that would have been there at the time. And I can totally see that they would have pushed back They're like some of the individuals. I would probably say the director of the library at the time probably really would have pushed back on that. In the administration, I've only heard stories about Peggy Stock. Like, I've always heard stories about her. That's crazy. I, I don't know. That's insane. I literally can't believe they did that. It's crazy. Wow. I mean, how cool. Just how cool to have that, um, that story here and available for you know students to listen now I think that's sort of the struggle always with student activism right is it's so it feels so transient sometimes when everyone's you know turning over every year every four years it it reminds me that there are so many stories like that um or you know even smaller acts of resistance that students have done through the years that have made Westminster the culture that it is and I wish that I had known this story when I was <laughs> when I was creating the history exhibit so had you heard any of this history prior to today? No, never. Do you think it's important that this sort of history is heard going yes. forward? Yes, yes, I think so. 
Because even though they did approve it then, they still didn't let them be in the time capsule and, like, I don't know. Like, we are definitely in a different place now, and I hope that would never happen again. But I think students should know that that has been in our past because I think, like he was saying, um, like, Westminster is a place of inclusivity now, and that is really something that most people strive for on campus. So just crazy that that was our past how do you think the current asw would handle something like this happening like can you play place yourself <laughs> in their shoes yeah i think it's just insane i hope that and i think we would handle it the same way that the president did that year just saying like this is something we are really passionate about and like, we don't care if you take away our funding. Like, we could care less about our funding. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. Like, How do you feel about, like, this continuity? Because I think, I think there's a way to draw a straight line from having pride as an organization on campus to, you know, its larger connections with the LGBTQ movement, right? But I think there's a straight line that you can draw from that original Pride Club to Queer Compass, right? So how does it feel to have that sort of heritage and that legacy in your position on campus? That's a great question. <laughs> this is 25 years ago now right. that we're talking about. I mean, I think it feels like Yeah, I think there is like a, a straight line you can draw, like you say, right? This continuity of students who have, you know, starting with that story to the stories that came up when I was writing when I was writing this history exhibit from only a couple of years ago. It feels like I get to be one person in this lineage, and and that you know that that's sort of how it feels doing any sort of advocacy work, right? It's so you can never divorce yourself from, from your current movement and how you got there, right? And I think especially with the LGBTQ movement, right, like things have changed so much so fast that, you know, someone even 10 years ago at Westminster would have had a vastly different experience than people right now, right? I mean, 10 years ago, marriage equality wasn't even legal. Right. So to have this, to have this legacy, to have this lineage and to connect, to be able to connect to like a broader Salt Lake um, Utah history of, of resistance, it just gives a different, it, a deeper meaning to the work that we're doing. And it's also sort of forward-looking, right? Like w in 25 years from now, what <laughs> what is the conversation going to be, right? right? And what can we do? How are we working to make, to make that look the way that we want it to? How does it feel that like this is not only part of Westminster's history broadly, but a history of ASW. Like this is yeah. this is a direct line between 25 years ago and ASW approving the first Pride Club yeah. to there now being a queer compass that's institutionally funded through the SDIC and ASW working with them on Pride Week. Yeah, yeah. I just feel so special to be a part of this. I think seeing where they were 25 years ago and seeing where we are now is crazy crazy i mean also i attended east high too so i think just being a part of this movement and being able to see how far we've come is really exciting to see
you've had a unique opportunity to see Westminster change over many years. I mean, what are the biggest changes you witnessed and what are, what are some things that you could still work on? Obviously when I first started working here, um, a lot's changed. I mean, the physical presence has changed. Mm. Faculty have changed. I do believe that there were still people in the past or instructors in the past who weren't always okay with the change that was happening Mm -hmm. or with the culture as more accepting towards um, LGBTQ um, ideals. Sure. (laughs) But as I, as time has gone on, it's been drastically different. Mm -hmm. Campus changes, administrations change, policies change. I think from my perspective, my opinion, it's only going to get better. Sure. Yeah. But it's only as good as the students who stand up and make a difference. Mm. If they become idle, then it won't get any better. As a matter of fact, it may just disappear. Right. Right. Um, But, the students have to take charge. Yeah. Like the staff can only do so much. Yeah. But if the students don't advance human rights and acceptance and activism, it's just not going to get any better. Do you think there's anything in particular that can be done or ought to be done to make the situation better? Yes. I want to do a time capsule. I think we should. Especially this year, 25-year anniversary. Yeah. Do you think that the current staff of Giovanni Library might be amenable to what Johnny suggested of having some kind of alternate? You know, I would honestly say yes. Okay. Like, based off of the years and the people that I worked with there, I don't see how they would be like, oh my gosh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I think I think they would be more supportive than people of the past. Now, incidentally, Kat, th- th- you, you may already know this, but uh, I did some digging in the archives and I discovered that the forum covered this story about the Giovanni time capsule when it happened. Really? Yes. So this uh, article is titled Students Upset About Contents of Time Capsule, and it was written by Amber Sundin, forum staff writer. Amber, if you're out there, thank you for this, Jim. So the lead begins. As the laying of the cornerstone ceremony began, students gathered around the new Giovanni Library at Westminster College. Many of them attended the ceremony to see what items had made it into the time capsule, since a majority of the students had donated different things to be included. While students were encouraged to bring special memorabilia that reflected their time at Westminster, many sadly learned that their gifts were not included after President Stock read the list of accepted items. According to the list that Stock read from, the time capsule was filled with documents such as her own inaugural address and letters from the Giovanni and Gore families. 
Other items included a masonry brochure, a Westminster program brochure, a student handbook, a school catalog, an ASWC events calendar, some campus pictures, two issues of the forum, and the Gore and Associates invention, Glide Dental Floss. can never forget about the dental floss. You're supposed <laughs> to do it every day. Well, I guess I'll have to go break open the Giovanni Cornerstone and get some Glide Dental Floss out of there. It's there. It's, as a resource. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how far we've come in 25 years. I mean, when I came here in 2018 as a first-year student, I immediately felt like this was a safe space for me as a queer woman. Um, but I had no context of the history or, you know, the movements around that counterculture to push for Westminster to be that safe space for LGBTQ plus people. It's, yeah, it's amazing that Johnny reached out to us yeah, and gave us this context because I had no idea about any of this history. I mean... Absolutely. I think it's, it's dreadfully important to try to keep this history alive because like Rodney and Johnny and even Faith mentioned, if students don't keep this up... Who will? It's important to understand that throughout Pride, especially, you know, if we're talking here at Westminster, it all started with that student resistance. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like after learning all this history, it just makes me more grateful that we have a Pride week on campus. That even though Pride falls outside the academic calendar, that there is, you know, at least a week set aside for that sort of institutional deference Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's wonderful I, I really think Westminster currently is striving to do better to continue to grow that safe space and we have we still will always have you know I believe Westminster will always have a way to go but it's important to recognize that important progress we've made if listeners to this podcast would like to check out some of our pride week coverage Kat where could they go to find that yeah, so if you're interested in reading some of our coverage from Pride Week 2021, you can read those stories and many others on our website, wc4media.com. Keep an eye out for the print edition, which comes out once a month, and for updates from our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages at wc4media. Now, if you're a student or alum with connection to LGBTQ organizing on campus and you'd like to share your connections with this larger story, please reach out. We're a news organization, but this history is new to many of us, and we'd love it if more people would reach out to our social media pages. Those pages, again, can be found at WC Forum Media. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Forum Podcasts. I'm Kat Taylor, Editor-in-Chief of the Forum. And I'm Anthony Giorgio, Video and Podcast Director for the Forum, signing off. <laughs>